Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And this week, we have a very special episode. Andy just returned from Gen Con, and I want to ask him a bunch of questions. So we thought we would do this on air as a special episode of the podcast. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm curious, I guess, how many times have you been to Gen Con? I guess I, this is not the first time you've been, I know that much, but have you been for the past 20 years? Uh, let's see. I have been to maybe six or seven Gen Cons. That might, between five and seven Gen Cons, I would say. I started going to Gen Con in the early 2000s, and I kind of started as a way, as an excuse to kind of meet up with a grad school friend mm-hmm. who lives out of state and who I don't see face-to-face except at Gen Con. And since then, he and I have typically met up at Gen Con and like gotten a hotel room together. And uh, for a little while, I alternated with the Origins game convention in Ohio, which is also a great convention. I was down in Indianapolis kind of by accident last time Gen Con was going on, so a year or two ago. And I found it to just be utterly overwhelming. I mean, we, we went out to go get some food and it was just like tens of thousands of nerds out on the street. I guess like, I mean, there's thousands of people there. So you're mostly meeting up with that one friend. Are you also like playing with other folks that you've just met or do you have other friends that also meet up there? I have quite a few people that I know who go down to Gen Con as well, but mo- largely because I can see those guys back here at home i don't usually connect up with them at the con i've every now and then i've carpooled down with one or two of them but yeah indianapolis is bonkers around gen con like every single restaurant within like a mile radius of the convention center like changes its menu to have like dnd themed <laughs> foods uh and stuff like that and there's there's signs and everywhere you look you know it's just gen con nerds it's it's really neat actually and and people dressed up as wookies Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, I don't really take you as a cosplayer, so I'm guessing you did not dress up as a Wookiee or otherwise. I did not. You know, I don't have the uh, patience or commitment to, to do the cosplaying. But I have a question for you, Chris. What would you guess was the most prominent or the most common cosplay costume that could be found at Gen Con this year, uh, according to my anecdotal note? Oh, goodness. it's. I would guess it's either a Pokemon thing or Fortnite thing. Because I think kids have moved on from Minecraft, right, to Fortnite. Uh, Maybe Pikachu or that, like, banana thing from Fortnite? Those are very good guesses. and Yeah, very good guesses. And uh, there are a lot of Pokemon people there. And you can tell because at any given time, about 80% of the people around you are looking down and playing Pokemon Go. But Yes. um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, I know this because I was one of those people, but... The costume I saw most often was a Scoops Ahoy costume from really? Stranger Things. Really? Yes. That's like amazing. A ton of people, uh, male and female, dressed up as Scoops Ahoy employees. That is fantastic. Yes. You know, I, bet, I bet TCBY was a little annoyed that they didn't have some sort of tie-in. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They probably, these Stranger Things probably approached them and they were like, nah, this won't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although, for all I know, they probably did have some sort of massive booth there. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, probably. There are hundreds of dealers, so. Okay, so, I mean, I think probably, like, anyone can get a recap of Gen Con most places. So, we should probably focus a little bit on sort of the core of what our podcast is about, which is about GMing stuff. So, um, I'm curious, did you GM anything? Did you get to play in anything? I did not GM, GM anything. And, in fact, I have never GMed anything at Gen Con. Uh, every year I go and I think, eh, you know, maybe next year will be the time that I... GM something, but I have yet to host an event at Gen Con. But I did play. I played in a ton of things, almost exclusively uh, role-playing games this time around. Uh, although in the past I've done board games and war games and stuff too. But uh, I had a little bit of extra time in between 
uh, role-playing games on one of my days. So I actually went to a couple seminars. There's like dozens and dozens of seminars about all different topics. And every year I look at them and I'm like, yeah, I should go to more seminars, but they're always like smack dab in the middle of a game. So uh, this year I went to a couple. Maybe next year I might reserve like a full half day to do some seminars. Hmm. Were any of them useful or were they just interesting topics? Uh, yeah, super interesting, actually. And there was a ton that were really interesting looking that I couldn't get to. The most interesting one, it was like a seminar given by a middle school teacher on the topic of how to get uh, middle school aged girls into role playing. Oh, great. Yeah, she runs a role playing club at a school that is largely girls. And my daughter is exactly that age. And I have idly thought about doing some sort of organized role-playing thing for her class. So, but even if I don't do that, it was really interesting to hear the perspective just about like what girls that age are looking for when they play a role-playing game and like what, what is going to appeal to them and, and what you need to be aware of. Yeah. Was there any easy conclusion from that? I mean, was it just like, well, oh, you have to play Pathfinder because actually girls really love Pathfinder at that age or... One of the things that, st- that stood out is I asked something I have long wondered about gaming with kids. So I'm sure you've noticed that in the last like five years, especially, there's been a ton of really well-produced games that are aimed at kids, basically. There's No Thank You Evil and Hero Kids and just a bunch of other games. And those games are about making role-playing a kid, a heroic kid. And I have always wondered... Is that what kids really want to do or is what kids want to do to like role play an adult adventurer in D&D? You know, like, so if you're a kid, what is your kind of, what is your role playing fantasy like this? Is it to play a heroic version of yourself or is it to be Aragorn? I don't know the answer to that question. And the seminar lecturer's answer was that, uh, it was about half and half in her experience as, as to what kids wanted. And she had run a game of Tales from the Loop, which she said kind of fell kind of flat because the kids got bored playing themselves or versions of themselves. So that was really interesting. Um, food for thought. Like no big, there's no, you know, immutable law of GMing and kids there. It's, it's going to vary. But uh, I thought it was interesting. That's kind of fascinating because like most kids are pretty narcissistic. So you'd assume that they'd want to just play themselves. Yeah, there's that certain sense of, you know, maybe when they sit down, they're like, I don't, I don't want to be a kid. I want to, you know, I want to be Conan. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I mean, when I played um, kids on bikes, like most of the players ended up wanting to play characters who are younger than themselves, which I think is just kind of one of those things where once you're an adult, you're like, well, no, actually, it was pretty great back then. (laughs) So yes, yes. yeah, could do that. Yeah, so I guess what were the the games that you got to play? Uh, So I played quite a few games. And I guess one bit of advice if you are going to Gen Con is to do what I finally did this year. And that is like, take the time to really sit down and schedule your events well, (laughs) well in advance instead of like half scheduling your time at Gen Con and then like having to schedule stuff at the last minute at the con. But yeah, I queued up a bunch of role playing games and the ones that I think made the biggest impression on me uh, were one I heard about from a guest on this podcast. I forget who it was. Maybe you remember but uh, do you remember the Mothership role-playing game that was mentioned? I don't know. Mothership is a like it's a super lo-fi RPG, but it just it won an award at Gen Con. Uh, but it's about replicating the experience of like an alien movie or uh, like Event Horizon type of space horror. Ooh. It's uh it's super interesting, and I 
there is a there's a risk this is going to be the game that I can't shut up about in future episodes, ah. I should warn you. Yeah. But um, what's interesting about it, and if you're listening to this, uh, please go check it out. It's not that the game itself is amazing. Like, the game itself is perfectly fine, and I really enjoyed the game I played of it. But, man, you got to look at the graphic design of the rulebook. It's, um, it's a pamphlet. It's like maybe 40 pages or something like that. And whoever did the graphic design is just a genius at packing information into a really compact but readable format. And I don't know if I've ever read a rule book that screamed, I am meant to be played, not read, more than the mothership rules. A lot of, I don't mean this as an insult exactly, but, you know, a lot of game books are pretty long beasts, and I suspect that at least part of the intended use for them is just to read and enjoy reading them. But this is a game that is just all about uh, about playing it. <laughs> it's, it's it's a little hard to describe, but if you check out the rulebook online, I think you might see what I mean. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to pick that up. That sounds fascinating. And Event Horizon is like the movie when I think about scary movies that sticks out to me. I, I watched it super late one night, and it's just, yeah, it's it was awful. <laughs> yes, I, I it is also memorable in my life, too. Uh, a bunch of my grad school friends and I once rented it, and it it didn't really somehow we didn't realize it was a horror movie uh and we had to stop it like i i can watch horror movies but man i had to stop that one i had to stop that one <laughs> got <Yeah>. a little <laughs> rough <laughs> i want to pick that up and read it just because i think um i've been thinking a lot about setting tone in games and how you mm. how you yep. set that and get away from just like slapstick fantasy as the default and it sounds like that game might have a lot to say about how to do that Yes, and you know, it does something else that I love and I wish more games would do, and it and that is it puts game rules on the character sheet. So you can hand somebody the character sheet and it's got like the basic it's got all the numbers on it, but it's got like the information you need to like actually use those numbers on the character sheet. And that saves having to like make up a cheat sheet or something like that, and it gives you something to read through when you're not it's not actively your turn in the game and i just think that's a great idea and more games should do it okay so aside from mothership was there anything else that you played that was good Uh, i played a number of other uh good games uh i played let's see i played a game of delta green it's a uh it's a setting from the 1990s for call of cthulhu it was sort of uh taking the cthulhu mythology and uh, making an x-files inspired game out of it so you play conspiracy agents that sort of thing mm-hmm. it recently kickstarter and got like a, an overhaul or a revision in the last couple of years so i played that and that was a kind of fun story i showed up a little bit i was a little bit late because i'd had trouble finding the room i showed up to the game table and the gm was like yeah well, you can definitely join but that guy over there is running the same scenario and he needs a couple more players to make it work so could you just join that table so i said Sure, no problem. So I sit down and I look up and the GM is Greg Stolze, who is the author of Delta Green and the author of many fantastic games that I really admire uh, over the last 10 or 15 years. So, and it turns out he's as fantastic a GM as he is a game writer. So, oh wow, uh, that's so cool. It was super fun. So I played Delta Green. I played uh, the new edition of Eclipse Phase which is uh, also space horror, but it's sort of like transhumanist space horror. Uh, so that was fun. And then I p- played a playtest game of a game called Cthulhu Tech. Okay. <laughs> uh, which uh, it's got a new edition underway, and uh, it's sort of 
the Cthulhu mythology. You you may have noticed a, a certain Lovecraftian theme in the games I played. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the Cthulhu mythology mixed with anime mecha, basically. So <laughs> okay, it. Uh, yeah, I played some other stuff too, but those are the ones that really struck out, stood out. That that's really great. Yeah. So yeah. did you pick up any like good GM tips? Um, you know, especially when you're playing Delta Green. Greg Stolze was just a fantastic GM. So what I took away from that game is that, well, I realized that over the years I have become more hesitant or shy about communicating at length in the character of NPCs. Lately, I kind of default a lot to saying the dwarf tells you this in response to your question instead of putting on my best terrible Scottish accent and speaking the words, you know, as if I were the dwarf. And part of that's just shyness and not wanting to look dumb or an insecurity about how how good a job I'd be able to do of representing an NPC. But I tell you, there was a moment in this game where an NPC had died. Two NPCs were coming along with us on the mission, and they were brilliant scientists who were, like, really unsuited physically for, like, the stresses of the mission. And one of them died as a, re- as a result of that. And so we were just going through this kind of routine stuff and I had my I had my character go over and we were trying to comfort the surviving scientist and Greg and the GM uh, got into the character of the scientist and he delivered like this several minute long just incredible little speech that he clearly was coming up with on on the spot he hadn't scripted it out or anything like that this incredible speech just about what a waste it was that this you know brilliant man with the the brain power to make a real difference in the world had just been thrown away on this dumb mission for the u.s government and it was a really move a strangely moving experience and you it's hard to create a moving experience when you're in a really loud room there's like 50 other people shouting mm-hmm. playing D next to you and they're all shouting about kobolds it made me think i need to i'll never you know, I'm never going to be brilliant at acting on NPCs, but man, that sure worked. And if I could capture at least a little bit of that, it, then it would be worth me starting to do that a little bit more. So, yeah, I, I too don't really do that as well as I should. And every time that I, I do sort of just rely on like, no, you have to talk to the NPC. It's always a good moment. It's just, it's hard to do, right? Cause it's easier to just sort of stop and be like, okay, well, here's the information I actually need to convey to you so you can move on with stuff. Yep. Um, but yeah, anytime you can just go for it, <laughs> it's oh. going to be better, better than I, worse. I mean, yeah, it's like, even if it falls flat, it's like, so what? You're like, you're playing a game, but I mean, exactly. it's, it's still hard, right? Yeah. I mean, the people at the table are your friends. They don't, they're not sneering at you. Probably. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe. So there was one other, one other takeaway I took from the, my mothership game. And this is a, a technique I absolutely going to start using in the mothership scenario we were playing. We had a a time limit in the setting of seven hours to complete our mission. Mm-hmm. And all the GM didn't say what would happen when that seven hours ended. It, it seemed like it probably wouldn't be good. We've all been in games where there was some sort of time limit. And I think we all have had that experience of not knowing the best way to track time. You know, do you keep track of how much time is elapsing in the game world and just guesstimate it as best you can? I've had GMs, you know, you an actual real time clock, you know, but that that doesn't feel quite uh, realistic either. But what this GM did is he drew a circle that we could all see. He could do a circle for each hour that we had remaining. He drew it on a piece of paper in the middle of the table. And then he split each circle into three segments. And he said, each of these segments is 20 minutes. Every time you guys do a major action, I'm going to fill in one of these segments. Like, 
knock 20 minutes off of your time, basically. And he said, also, I have a clock here and every five minutes I'm going to fill in a segment. And <laughs> it worked wonderfully. It, it generated so much tension. And there's just this, because there were two triggers that would cause the GM to fill in time. He was filling in time regularly. And so you were constantly having your attention called to the fact that your time was ticking away. It just created this wonderful tension because at first, you know, it seems like, oh, we've got seven circles. We have all the time in the world. But then by the time you get about two thirds of the way through, you realize like, oh my goodness, we, we really have like a finite amount of stuff we can do here. So we need to start really prioritizing what's important to us. Yeah, I like that a bunch. So did you find at the end sort of of that session that you were you were racing against the clock or did you plan stuff out pretty well by the time you saw kind of that last last circle getting filled in? You were racing in the against the clock because what happened is we had two two kind of goals, two or three goals. You know, we had to figure out what was going on in this, you know, abandoned facility. We had to rescue uh, any survivors and uh, we maybe had to like retrieve some information or something like that. And so what happens is you just start doing the math and realizing, I don't think we can do all of these things. So what's more important, getting the survivors out? Uh, or is it more important just to get out ourselves alive? And I mean, there was a, a moment where there was like, you know, 40 minutes left. And it's like, we know there's a survivor in this room on the other side of the base. You know, do we dare go and uh, are we going to risk it? I don't know. It, it created some great moments. That's super cool. Did you learn anything while you were playing some games about stuff that you want to make sure you absolutely never do? This is maybe the first Gen Con in a while where none of the games was like a total bust. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't say that to be overly negative, but it's just going to be inevitable that when you play in games with strangers, eventually you're going to play in games that just like aren't in your style or have people that just aren't your style of player or GM. This time around, I didn't have any games where there, like the GM or the players were really uh, like phoning it in or doing a bad job. But there was one game that was a little bit of a dud. And on reflection, thinking about it later, the problem was it was kind of a short scenario. And it was set up at the beginning. We, the players, were invited to basically figure out a way. I'm trying to be a little vague here because I don't want to name the event. Um because I don't want anyone to feel bad. But so the, we were invited to make up a, a fairly complex plan for rooting out some like traitors, let's say. So we spent a good while thinking about how we we're going to do this. We had to infiltrate this facility. We had to identify where the traitors were. We had to um, take action to stop their plan from happening. And that was all very fun. That was really cool. And so we carried out that part. But then like once our plan swung into effect, the traitors basically just jumped up and attacked us all. And then the rest of the game was a big drawn out fight scene. And like the fight was fine, but uh, I realized that like, no matter how interesting our plan was, it would have just always ended with just the way that it played out that it would have always just ended with like us just getting to a big gunfight with the bad guys. Yeah. And, like, and there is, there was no, the way the scenario was set up, like it, there was no way that it, like a, a plan that wasn't, that didn't boil down to like just shoot and kill the bad guys would have worked. And so I guess what I took away from that is, well, first of all, don't create us, try to not create a scenario where like there's really only one way that has to end. And if for some reason you have a scenario scene like that, you know, don't, don't make them waste time 
on planning and stuff that in retrospect, they're going to feel like they didn't really get to, to carry through on. I mean, it was, it was a fine game and I'm not like bagging on the gym or even really the scenario, but it, it wasn't the greatest. Yeah. I've, I've absolutely made that mistake more than once. Right. Oh, Where yeah. you're just like, well, it has to happen this way. Otherwise I don't have any way to get them from this point to that point. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you find yourself writing that sort of like scenario where it's like, well, if they don't follow, then there's no more game, then you, you're in trouble. So it sounds like you get a chance to be a player at Gen Con more so than you do sort of in the, the rest of your life. It, do you find like that you leave Gen Con like just like hyped up, ready to, to run a bunch of games? Or are you sick of it and you want in a couple weeks off? I left Gen Con very hyped up to run games. And I, and that it's, it's a great break from GMing for me. And I get to sit back and kind of quietly learn from other GMs and maybe occasionally critique them. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I learn, I, every time I go to Gen Con or even smaller cons, you know, it doesn't have to be Gen Con. If you play in like six games, you're gonna learn something from some someone, right? Because one of those gems is gonna have just like a, just a real simple little trick that you can add to your arsenal. It definitely happened this year. You know, I, I bet I could identify something I've I've picked up from every con I've been to almost. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like I know you you came back and we've been chatting a little bit about Band of Blades, which you picked up. Band of Blades was my big RPG acquisition this year, and it is it looks so good, Chris. We're going to be talking about Band of Blades on this this podcast too much, I can tell. Yeah, I apologize in advance if anyone's like, well, I am i don't like Blades in the Dark or Band of Blades because that's what this is just going to be. <laughs> yes. But Yeah, but I mean, like, kind of hearing and seeing some of your enthusiasm for that and just, like, you're already thinking about how you're going to run it and everything. It's like, oh, that's that's great, right? Yeah, I mean, I would say, like, you're not, it's not like you're unexcited about the games that you're running, but I can see there's, like, an enthusiasm there that you didn't have before Gen Con. Yes, absolutely. Something else you get from a con like this, and I'll say this, despite not, not having taken advantage of this very much this year at Gen Con, but, you know, at Gen Con, you can play in games that, like you are never going to be able to play in your home group for whatever reason, right? Whatever you're kind of interested in doing, someone's running it at Gen Con. And on a more extreme sense, I mean, there's there's a lot of types of games that like you just literally couldn't play like in your home group. The friend I was at Gen Con with, uh, for instance, attended a 100-player war game simulating a an aerial battle from World War One. Like, you know, you can't do that anywhere else. Something else my friend and I were kind of enviously laughing at is like there was like a hundred person like Star Trek UN, like Star Trek model UN. <laughs> and yes. like when when else could you do this, right? I mean, I guess you could coordinate something online. But man, at Gen Con, there's like 500 things like that going on. That's fantastic. Yeah, I think. I mean, you'll just you just sold me on going to Gen Con next year I think, <laughs> yes. with the, the Star Trek. You yeah, you really need to go to to one of the Origins or Gen Con. I think one of the two biggies. Um, it's it's worth it. I mean, the small cons are awesome, and and I love the I love smaller local cons too. But once in your GMing life, everyone needs to go to a fifty thousand person nerd convention like this. Yeah, well, um, I don't have uh, anything else that I really wanted to ask you. So thank you for doing this. Um, is there anything, any other sort of partying shots about Gen Con you wanted to talk about? I think we've covered everything. Yeah, it's a really good experience. And, um, you know, if you're a GM, it's, I mean, it's fun to go and play. But if you are a GM, there's just so much you can pick up by going and playing in other people's games and seeing what other people do better than you. And maybe mm-hmm. occasionally seeing 
what you do better than everybody else. That's nice. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, yeah. And thanks everybody to everybody who's listening to this. Um, yeah, I, this was a little bit outside of our normal format, but we thought it'd be a fun thing to talk about because, you know, Gen Con is nerd Christmas, right? It's the once a year gigantic event that everybody knows about and seems like everybody goes to. Yeah. And next time we'll be back to our regular format. Uh, have yes. no fear. Or at least yes, soon yeah. we'll get back to it. Yeah, soon we'll get back to it. Soon we'll have guests. Soon we'll have new guests and all that. It's going to be great. But um, yeah, thanks again for listening. Please drop us a note if you um, have been enjoying this. Uh, if you have any follow-up kind of questions about Gen Con or if you went yourself and have some stories to share, we'd love to hear those too. Um, but I've been Chris Salzman. And Andy Rao. Thanks so much. Oh, and remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. Even if you went to Gen Con without them. <laughs>